On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I'm joined by Nathan Grubel of the Draft Deeper Podcast as we discuss picks 1 through 10 of my 2021 NBA mock draft. We discuss players that I have picked 1 through 10. Nathan tells me where he agrees, where he disagrees, and some players that he's higher or lower on than the consensus. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Break in the Game Show. And man, I'm so excited because this is what I'm calling Breaking the Game draft weekend episodes here right so i have a very special guest coming on the show today uh nathan grubel of the draft deeper podcast website just overall draft expert extraordinaire is joining us today nathan how are you doing you're too kind of me steve you're you're, <laughs> you're way too kind to me I, i'm getting like zach low now like some of these intros they're, they're they're way too kind i'm too humble but uh, i'm doing well man i'm i'm excited i'm honored that you're having me on to break down one through ten today because you got you got one heck of a lineup uh lined up for the other parts of the draft the mock draft so i'm i'm incredibly honored to be here man thanks for having me oh dude i'm humbled that you agreed to come on to the show this is not your first time on i love having returning guests because as much as i like the whole like getting to know you phase it's cool when we can kind of establish more of a rapport. You know, we talk offline all the time. It's even better when I get to kind of see you face to face and dialogue with you, you know, real time and get to hear your voice and see your, see how disgusted you're probably going to be with some of my takes or, you know, just kind of playing off of each other. I'm excited, man. How about you? I, I, I am as well, dude. I, I looked over your mock. I looked through one through 10. We, we don't really have a ton of disagreements, so I think we'll be able to have more of a discussion about these guys and not be like the the two talking heads going back and forth. So it'll it'll be good. It's nice to know that you're not going to, you know, kind of upgrade me, so to speak, here on the show today. You know, I'm all about being taught, too. So, like, far be it for me to think that I'm, like, the leading expert in anything. That's why I have people such as yourself, Nathan, to come on to the show and, you know, talk with uh, the the listeners and uh, engage with each other. So I'm excited, man. Um, Before we get going, I just want to remind everybody that support for Breaking the Game is brought to you by Manscaped. Go over to manscaped.com. Buy whatever you want, but here's what you do. At checkout, you enter in promo code BTG, which obviously stands for breaking the game, and that'll let them know that I sent you. And because we're such good friends, Manscaped and myself, they will hook you up with a 20% discount and free shipping. And it doesn't matter if there's a deal going on or not. You can add 20% onto an already existing deal. You can save even more money, and we can you know, just help each other out. You can look and feel better, feel better about yourself and... You know, you help further the program and its development. So super excited for that partnership. All right, Nathan. So coming up in this draft, you know, you and I were going to be discussing one through 10 and I'm excited for this draft. And before we get into the picks, what is your overall feeling on just the depth, the talent, uh, just the overall feeling you have on this draft class? I love it. Absolutely love the 2021 draft class. There's so much talent that we may not look back and see that all of these guys are stars per se. And I, I th- this is a notion that goes around social media sometimes. It's like, 
we can get excited about a draft class, but you look back and it's like, yeah, but like 90 to 95% of these guys don't make it in the league. And it's just like, so what? So what, man? Like, like that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be, you know, mining the draft for prospects or diamonds in the rough or whatever the case may be, because mm-hmm. the NBA game is so open nowadays. And what I mean by that is there are so many different skill sets and talent sets that are thriving where it doesn't matter if you may not be like a starter on like a really good team, you can find a home as like a seventh through ninth or 10th man on an NBA team. And those are the types of guys that people are always looking for, whether it's the back end of the first round, early second, all the way to, you know, the back end of the second round and and undrafted free agent targets. Like that's what this whole process is about. It's about finding all those guys, not necessarily just talking about the stars. And I know you and I are going to talk about a lot of the bigger names today, but at the same time, like that's why paying attention for, for the other parts of the draft and hopefully your audience definitely make sure they tune in for 11 to 20 and 21 to 30. Cause those guys are going to have homes and one day they may make a difference on a playoff team, just coming off the bench for 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about this, Nathan, before we came on to the show is that one through 10 is a big deal because, you know, the the players that are going to be drafted, ideally speaking, are going to make an immediate impact, maybe even a franchise altering pickup, depending on who it is, the decision makers, how far they are looking into a player or maybe they're just going off the bet their word of their best scout and it doesn't work out that way. And we've seen that all happen. Uh, you know, throughout the history of the NBA. So Nathan, without further ado, right now what we're going to do is go through where I have my mock draft according to me and just kind of put this out there. I always like to tell people the rules before I get into what I get into. Um, I draft this according to where I think players are going to be kind of long-term, right? Not where every other draft, you know, page or website or whatever has guys. Because typically, Nathan, unless you're just like a diehard like yourself, Typically, what the major media outlets will do is they'll say, okay, here's a reputable mock draft. Let me just shift a couple players around. Like, you don't do that. I don't do that. We go off of who we feel is going to make the biggest difference down the line. And so with that being said, I have you on here just to kind of, again, just to maybe tell me how crazy I am or, you know, how good of a, you know, draft analyst I am, whatever the case may be. My, my, my personal mock draft that I did on my podcast and I fill out mine the same way. I call it a GM style mock draft because I sit down and I put my cap on for whichever franchise is making the pick. And I would make the pick according to what I would do. Not necessarily just the buzz out there. I'm not doing a media mock draft or an interview mock draft or all this stuff I'm collecting behind the scenes. I'm making the picks. And my personal one, I said it to, to Matt Maurer, NBA draft historian, who I had on. I said to him, this is going to go off the rails at pick six. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. If you want to throw something crazy at me, fire away. All right, man. Well, let's get into it. So here's where the crazy kicks off. Number one, <laughs> overall pick with the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> I'm on the clock as the GM. And here's the thing before I give the name, because everybody already knows the name. I don't think it's far and away what it was put out to be at the beginning of this draft process, Nathan. I don't think that the player that I ultimately ended up going with, number one, was just hands down better. There was actually quite a bit of deliberation on my end. I'm sure that there was on yours, maybe not. But um, I'm going to go with Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. The big playmaking guard forward, whatever you need him to be, he can show up on the floor. He shows good defensive instincts. He's a, a pretty decent shooter as well. Um, Nathan, what do you think about Cade going number one overall? 
So I have two players in a top tier for me, and I call that top tier my MVP caliber tier. So I could potentially one day see either of these guys winning an MVP award. And sometimes there's no players in that tier in, in a draft year. But the fact that there's two, that says something. But I had Cade along with Jalen Green. Mm, so okay. if you want to argue between both of those players, like that's fine. But I would still take Cade Cunningham and and – I really don't think this should be up for much debate in Detroit. I think when you when you take a look at what Detroit actually lack, well, first of all, any of these like top five teams, we can look at all their synergy numbers and be like, all right, these guys need everything, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we could sit down and have yes. this discussion. However, some key areas where they're lacking in, Cade actually brings those things to the table, like pick and roll playmaking, isolation scoring, um, jump shooting off the dribble, being able to do something for himself along with setting up everyone else being a versatile guard slash wing defender at six foot eight. You can kind of plug him into the lineup anywhere. Like the, one of the things that people said when Detroit got the number one pick is if they take Cade, what happens with Killian Hayes? Well, those two could play together. Like you mm-hmm. can, you can stick Cade at shooting guard and you can still play him with Killian Hayes and Sadiq Bay and everybody else who you love in Detroit, all those young guys who had a fun impact for that team last year. So I don't think that he locks you into anything that you wouldn't necessarily want to be in positional wise. And I just think he plugs enough gaps for your team. And the other thing too is, and I'm sure you heard this, uh, Stephen, with all the, the Chad Ford podcast that came out, the case against Cade Cunningham, one of yes. my favorite podcasts that's come out in a long time, because I think it's, forgive me, it's a stupid notion to, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like when we're arguing about, Cade Cunningham and that he may have some warts. Well, first of all, so does every prospect. Second, of all, where where did this come from that Cade Cunningham can't be a much better player three to four years from now than he is right now? Why does That's he have to point. be this like franchise changing talent the second he steps into Detroit? Very, very, very few players in NBA history are. Like Zion Williamson is a incredibly rare prospect. Anthony Davis is an incredibly rare prospect. And just because he's not those guys doesn't mean that he isn't worthy of being the number one pick in the draft. And like, like that's I, that, that stuff throws me off the rails. <laughs> it makes me mad because Cade has earned this number one spot, deservingly so. If you want to argue for somebody else, I'll entertain the argument. But let's not let's not knock Cade down for little to no reason to make an argument for somebody else just highlight that other player's strengths and what that other player might be able to do in the right fit versus just go after somebody and knock them down. That's my whole thing. Yeah, and I'm a big subscriber to that notion as well that you can speak glowingly of someone else without insulting another person at the same time. So um, again, I have Cade number one. I don't think that that was too difficult of a decision. I had about two more players that I would take number one overall. So we'll see how that goes down the line when we kind of deliberate further on. Speaking of which, the Houston Rockets now would be the second team on the clock here. And I think that I zigged when you zagged on this one, kind of talking offline a little bit. Um, I'm going with a player that I don't think is necessarily the best available, although I really do like his game a lot. I'm going with a guy who what I deem to be a culture guy. You know, I was really big on Tyrese Halliburton last season. And this player, I think, gives you a lot of those same things, as well as just being a great player himself. He plays, he feels like he's an older guy than Cade Cunningham, too. I think when you listen to discussions on the way that he plays, you feel like he's a junior while Cade Cunningham is a freshman. But no, Jalen is just as young, has just as much upside. And that being Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga, not Jalen Green. 
So what do you think about me taking Suggs here, number two overall to Houston? I don't hate it. And the reason why I don't hate it is because I've said this so many times. I know on, on my podcast, and maybe I've even said it when, when I was on your show previously as well, that like Jalen Suggs might not be the best overall talent in this class. But if I'm a GM making a high lottery pick, I might lose sleep at night knowing that I didn't take Jalen Suggs because I think that he can be that impactful of a winner. And you talk about a culture builder. Yeah, he's arguably the best leader in this draft class. Now, what makes this interesting and why I would take Jalen Green at number two is because I think Jalen Green also has a lot of very positive off-the-court intangibles. Like, you don't hear anybody say a bad word about him and his attitude and his work ethic and, and what he brings to a team as well. Like, Brian Shaw raved about him. He absolutely loved having him and being able to coach him. And a lot of other people you might talk to or, or you listen to podcasts of people who have interviewed or worked with Jalen Green, like, they all say the same thing. So when you take Jalen Green's potential talent, as a three-level scorer, somebody who can fill it up, somebody who's probably going to get a little bit better making plays for others throughout his career. He's not like any kind of pick-and-roll dynamo himself right now. I think he's going to get better at a lot of different things, especially shooting the basketball in different sets, and I think you bet on that talent combined with his defensive impact at number two. But if you take Jalen Suggs at number two and he turns into the type of player that I think he can be, which is like a Drew Holiday type, I'm not going to mm-hmm. fault anybody for taking somebody who could end up being Drew Holiday at number two either, because that's a very impactful player to have in your backcourt. Somebody who's always going to bring the right positive vibes to your locker room, who can make plays on the court a variety of ways. You know, he can be a potential defensive stopper in the backcourt. Um, and if you do play Jalen Suggs at point guard, maybe you decide to play Kevin Porter Jr. at the two guard if you're Houston, then mm-hmm. I, I, I always I subscribe to the notion that guard defense particularly at the point guard spot you don't have to be an all-world defender but if you can at least put pressure at the point of attack that to me is very important to have and you know that Jalen Suggs is going to do that he did that all year for Gonzaga and even offensively I know some people have concerns about his pick and roll playmaking and what he can do with his handle can he actually handle the ball in tight spaces is he a turnover machine if he drives into the lane drives into the traffic I don't have those level of concerns for for Suggs and I think his shooting is going to improve as well so yeah, I don't hate the pick. I'd take somebody else, but I don't hate the pick. Yeah, and I also like the fact that you know you're getting a hard worker too. He's not yep. going to be a guy that comes into the NBA and just be like, you know, I'm all right with being a top five pick and just kind of live with whatever faults that I have. He's going to keep improving and improving and improving. And because of his size and defensive ability, I feel like he could line up even at the two if further down yep. the line you maybe get another guard, you know, and he can play alongside of him as well. So I really like that versatility. And again, the biggest reason why I like Suggs is particularly in Houston with the reasons that we saw players leave, you know, the the general manager stepping down the way he did, you know, kind of the president, you know, the whole organization, they need kind of a breath of fresh air. And, and that's why I like Suggs to Houston. And plus it leaves who is now on the clock in the Cleveland Cavaliers who are rumored to be shopping Colin Sexton kind of open to improve their backcourt too particularly their size, because we're seeing a little bit of uh, a step down of what we saw in Portland, where you have two great guards, young guards who are improving year by year, but that limits you in a lot of ways. So here with Cleveland on the clock, I went with Jalen Green. Now, Nathan, I know that you're high on him. I want you to speak to me as to why this guy might be an MVP down the line. When you watch Jalen Green, I think it's inevitable that 
and I'm not making a direct comparison, but it's inevitable you see shades of a young Kobe Bryant with, with, with Jalen mm-hmm. Green, and that that is really special. He is that level of floaty athlete, that level of shot creator off the bounce. I think what's what's going to set Jalen Green apart from other players, not even necessarily if he improves as like this elite passer, like maybe he doesn't average like six assists a game. Maybe he's only like a three, four assists per game guy. But if he develops his scoring to the point where he is lights out making off the dribble threes, which we've already seen evidence of in the G League, and then if he takes some of that footwork, some of that polish that he has getting around guys and he pushes that into the post and he starts to work on some of those parts of his game that Kobe Bryant did have that he doesn't have quite yet. I mean, these are things that I don't think are out of the realm of possibility for him to add and be efficient at in his game. Like I said, he can already take you off the bounce from the mid-range. He can hit open catch-and-shoot shots from three-point range. He can finish around the basket. He's, you know, your transition threat. He's going to rise up and dunk it, tomahawk at home in transition. He's that level of an athlete. And then his defensive intensity as well is something I don't think yes. enough people uh, definitely talk about. He's he's 6'5". He's not, not built from a great muscular standpoint just yet, but there's nothing to his frame that tells me he's not going to put on more muscle, pack on some more weight. Um, but he competes on the defensive end. And when, when you talk about guys you like Steven, who are, you know, they're, 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 they're gym rats. They're going to put everything into it to work and get better at their craft. Like him having that mindset on the defensive end, wanting to go shut somebody down or get a stop as well as get a bucket on the offensive end. Like, those are the types of players that we hold in such rare air in the NBA. Like, why does everybody like Kawhi Leonard? To quote Colin Cowherd, he's, he might be the best, you know, get a stop, get a bucket guy in the league. I think Giannis mm. has laid claim to that now after his performance <laughs> in the finals. But, like, those types of players, like, I think Jalen Green can be that type of guy down the road. And when you're talking about that level of talent, that to me speaks MVP caliber. He doesn't have to be the offensive hub. He doesn't have to consistently make plays for others or be like this offensive engine to be an MVP caliber player. I think that that's a notion that's also gone around on Twitter that I don't believe to be true. I believe that to be false. Like Jason Tatum is another example of that. Like a guy who can get a stop and then go get a bucket on the other end and everyone wants to throw him in potential MVP conversations one day. And I think I think Jalen Green at the guard spot or I think in time he'll even be able to play up to the three. I think he can be that impact level of a player. And Cle- Cleveland would be they, – they'd be very lucky to get somebody like him. Um, and it, it could very well happen because I don't think that Houston's – necessarily in on Jalen Green yet at this point. I know it's the popular media mock, but I still think there's a chance they take Evan Mobley. So Jalen Green might be there at number three for Cleveland. That's probably why you're you're hearing all the Sexton rumors. Although I think all three of them could play together. I I really do. I think that they could keep Sexton, have Garland, and play Jalen Green in the three. I think he could grow into the small forward position. Yeah, I'm not so I'm not necessarily worried about him developing his defensive skills on the perimeter, but what we've seen in Colin Sexton, you know, Darius Garland, albeit a small sample size, it doesn't look promising that they're going to be able to um, elevate themselves on that side of the ball yeah. as a unit, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I like Jalen Green a lot, and I had a question for you for the G League in particular, but I'm going to save it for a, a pick down the line. So just kind of be be on sure. the lookout for that. All right, so number four on the clock, we have the Toronto Raptors. And here I have them taking the versatile, fun, funky big man out of USC and Evan Mobley. 
What do you think about his fit in Toronto with them losing front court depth the previous offseason? How do you think that he would pair with like a Fred Van Vliet and an OG Ananobi and obviously Pascal Siakam? I think he would he would fit in talent wise, but I question positional fit because I don't think that he's a center. I think that if you're drafting Evan Mobley, your best bet is to develop him as like this more perimeter oriented power forward stretch big. Like I've I've said for a while, no, I'm not going to make the direct comparison to Anthony Davis, but like that's the type of developmental path that I would want Evan Mobley to get on. Because uh, I don't think, even if he adds strength, which I think that he will, I don't think he's going to add a lot of bulk. And I don't know if you want him banging down low with the Joel Embiid's and the Jokic's of the world um, every single time the Raptors go out and play a game. So mm-hmm. if they draft him, they probably would play him at center. That that just doesn't seem like the best positional fit for me. But talent-wise, because he's so perimeter-oriented, his game offensively and defensively can meld with virtually anybody. I just think that he's better suited to have a big man next to him, which that's like the one thing Toronto is missing. They're missing like a true center at this point because Ibaka and Gasol walked out the door and the whole Aaron Baines thing didn't work out. So like that, that's the biggest hole to me that they have along with Charlotte. Those are the two teams that stick out in my mind that need true big men. So I wouldn't hate the pick, but I don't know if it's necessarily their, their best fit. I, I think Jalen Suggs is like tailor made for them. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are really high on Jalen Suggs coming in and basically taking over the Kyle Lowry role. And you know, everything that I was speaking on, why I like Jalen Suggs, that makes a lot of sense there. I'm just thinking though, like obviously Houston this is, well, this is taking Jalen. This is your mock. You already have Jalen Suggs gone, so this is this is your show, yeah, not mine. Right. <laughs> well, correct, and that's what I'm saying. So Jalen Suggs being gone, based on where I'm projecting these guys to be long term. I'm a little bit lower on Evan Mobley because of what we saw, particularly in high stakes games going up against a Drew Timmy and being stifled by these bigger centers. And I kind of see him being utilized as a center in the NBA because everyone's kind of transitioning to more of a skill based center position. And although there are those, you know, Joel Embiid's and Nikola Jokic's, there's really not a lot of other big dawning centers that he would line up against on a nightly basis, you know, and you can go out and get a, a, a JaVale McGee style player to kind of fill in or a Brooke Lopez to kind of fill in, you know, your traditional big bulky centers. But I can envision Nick Nurse utilizing him in like a five out style offense with a uh, Gary Trent Jr. probably being the other backcourt member alongside of a Fred Van Vliet and really running some fun lineups where you have, Pascal and Mobley running some high lows, maybe even some, you know, four or five pick and roll with one another because of Mobley's unique skill set. I just think that that would be an interesting concept. Oh, it opens up a, a, a world of possibilities offensively. I just question you, you made a good point about finding other big bodies to kind of come in and, and, and serve that role if they're playing against a team with more size. But I mean, even even with the Suns having DeAndre Ayton and nobody else, like we we watched Milwaukee just completely bowl over Phoenix, who didn't have enough size um, and, and and true size to deal with somebody like Giannis. So not that there's anybody out there in particular that can deal with Giannis one on one, but like you need you need to be able to at least throw multiple big bodies at somebody like him. And I know Evan Mobley has excellent length to him; he has freakish length, um, and he's a very yes. smart defender. He doesn't get himself in foul trouble. Stayed out of foul trouble a lot at USC. I just question how much of that is going to hold up because yeah, you you brought up the the Gonzaga game. If 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 Mobley can get cooked by Drew Timmy, like 
some somebody like Giannis and it'd be all those guys are going to eat Mobley's lunch in, in the NBA yes. at least right now. So that that's why I think that he's better suited for the four role. But yeah, o- offensively, if we're not if we're throwing defense out a little bit, we're just talking offense. Yeah, he's a hundred percent. Like you don't find bigs um, with his ability to handle the basketball and make plays for others and possibly run like inverted pick and roll type stuff, like you talked about. Like the, those guys don't grow on trees, and that's why Mobley is the special, unique talent that he is. I don't question his talent. I don't question his love for the game. What I do question is when you're taking him with like, let's say there's there's a lot of people arguing for him to be like the first or the second pick in the draft, right? When you're taking somebody with one of those two picks, you probably want somebody who has that killer instinct to them to go out and be like when the game comes down to to the last seconds, right? You you need a guy, even in not even necessarily last seconds, but like last few minutes of a game, you need somebody to step up, be like a first or a second offensive option. Does Mobley have that in him? I don't think that he does. No, I don't think so either. I have him, and truth be told, I can elaborate on this now. On my big board, I actually have him fifth overall. But when okay. I'm looking at teams who could need front court help, that was one of the weak points in Toronto's game this past season, which is why they kind of fell off the face of the earth. Then they were the the Tampa Bay Raptors instead of the Toronto Raptors the entire season. So I went with kind of front court, you know, the need for a front court player at number four for the Raptors, but I actually have one more guy ahead of him on my big board. So far, my big board has gone in order with the exception of now. So um, my number four prospect Uh, on my big board is actually selected next and that's to the Orlando magic. Now I want to lead off with the question that I kind of, you know, prelude you to about the G league. Um, my, my guy that I have here, Jonathan Kaminga, I think that he would be a great fit in, in Orlando with the youth that they have with RJ Hampton. Um, you know, obviously with, um, Cole Anthony as well, I could see him being a great running mate with them. A lot of people are concerned about Kaminga, but I think that we need to consider that the G league, was in its inaugural season. He's playing against professional athletes, not yep. collegiate athletes, not international athletes. He's going up against guys who are hungry, fighting for a contract on a daily basis, right? And he's playing with about four, three or four other guys that are looking to be drafted in this season as well. So we see a little bit of that, you know, establishing a hierarchy. He's in a new league and he's playing against dudes that are competing for money. So I think with all that being considered, there's a lot of um, attributes about Jonathan Kaminga's game why, why I have him fourth overall on my board and ultimately being selected by the Orlando Magic here. So regarding Kaminga, I think the biggest reason why he's fallen off a little bit is because when we look back by like year four, right, we could look back and Kaminga could be like one of the three best players in the draft class. Like I'm not going to throw out that argument. That's probably a reason why you have him so valued on your big board, Steven. I just question what Mm -hmm. he's going to do for an NBA team within his first year, maybe even going into his second year. And the reason why I say that is because when I evaluate Kaminga, what skills does he really have right now to contribute to an NBA team from day one? Like, obviously, he can attack the basket on a line drive. If you throw in that spin move that he has occasionally, he'll whip out like that Andrew Wiggins style spin move. That to me is like one and a half skills. I'm not sold that he's going to contribute anything else at a decent enough level where I'd say I'd call it a bankable skill at, 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 in the NBA game. Like, he's not, his jump shot needs a lot of work. I think his off-the-bounce shooting needs a lot of work. I don't trust him to do um, a lot of particularly – anything great playmaking-wise off the bounce. 
defensively he has a lot of where awareness concerns he can body somebody up one-on-one if he's like right by the mm-hmm. basket he's a competitive guy he's not going to let somebody eat his lunch but i just question how impactful he's going to be in year one and that's why i think he's dropping where some other guys some of the guys that we've talked about maybe a guy or two that we'll talk about after kaminga i think that's why you see some of those guys ahead of him and, and on some of the more recent intel coming out but you talked about Steven that he has a lot of different things that he's at least shown minor examples of that he could probably mm-hmm. do in the NBA in time. And that's why you can't let him fall too far. So I don't yeah. necessarily disagree with the pick of him going to Orlando. I just, if I was, if I was an executive in a front office, I'll admit it. Like I'd be a little more hesitant to take Kaminga. I would have to really know that we have the right developmental staff and we have the right plan in place to develop him to, to be the player that we think he can be in time, because I think he's, he's going to need a little more seasoning than some of those other top guys that we've talked about. Not that he can't be a top talent in this class, but he's going to need a little more special attention paid to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I would be foolish to sit here and say that, you know, he's a perfect prospect and that's why I have him here. I'm a big fan of his upsize. I like his length, his athleticism because, you know, he has, has a lot of fluidity to his game. You know, he's not a very rigid moving player, you know, from, from the film that I've analyzed. And plus I like the fact that if he goes to Orlando, it's a very low expectation place where he's not going to have to come in and be like, okay, I got to be everything to everybody. Now he's playing alongside a guy who's looking to prove himself and Cole Anthony based on where he was selected and where he ended up, you know, where he was projected to go and where he was ultimately selected. And plus a new first time head coach and Jamal Mosley down there too. So I really love the fit between him and Orlando and, the upside is what I'm swinging on here if I'm Orlando because they have a history of big man just leaving their organization after a couple contracts, right? Can I get in one more point about Kaminga? Please do. The, the, I, I know I kind of just tore him down a little bit, but I, 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 I'm a positive draft guy, so I got to build him back up here. Well, I know. The, the one thing I loved <laughs> about Kaminga for the G League is that he was not afraid of the moment. He was not nope. afraid to go up against a lot of those guys. He had the highest usage rate among those, you know, those quote unquote rookie G League guys for a reason. Like they put the ball in his hands and gave him a lot of responsibility. And even though it all it didn't always look pretty, it didn't always, you know, yield the the desired result. At the same time, he was at least willing to go out and do those things. He was willing to take those shots. He was willing to step up and try and make plays for others on offense. Like they, there's a thing and and for, forgive me because I just came off of watching a playoff series with Ben Simmons just like <laughs> refusing to do a lot of stuff. I'm a Philly guy. But yes. like there, there's something to be said about the young guy at least being hungry enough to want that type of responsibility and showing that he may not be ready for it, but in his mind, one day he's going to be. So if, if there is anything to take away from Kuminga's G League experience, I think that's the thing. And I think that's what allows you to prop him back up a little bit, even when you take you tear down um, his skill set right now and what it is at this current moment in time. Absolutely, and you know he's just a teenager. He's probably still going to be yep. growing and he's going to be improving. Yep. And again, the developmental staff that Orlando is putting together down there, you know, a, a new regime, so to speak. Um, I think that any any sort of developmental staff would love to have a Jonathan Kaminga on their hands and see what they can do with a player like that. So, all right, Nathan, we're going to move on now to a team that I'm really interested in overall in the draft because I think they have like 13 picks in this draft or close to it. Um, just kidding. 
they don't have that many. Probably about half that, though. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder are on the clock, and they could go a myriad of ways. Uh, there was initial talks that um, they were interested in trading up for Detroit's number one overall pick to get um, Cade Cunningham. And one of the chips that they would have to put in there was SGA, who I'm, an, I just love Shea Gilgis Alexander. So what I wanted to do is I want to pick him a backcourt running make. I love Lou Dortz, but I don't think that he's a starter in the NBA. I think that he's a, a very valuable reserve man, maybe even a six man. And what I ended up doing is I took James Booknight out of UConn here to run along with Shea Gilgis Alexander. What are your thoughts about that decision, Nate? I don't hate it. Um, I, I think that Book Knight's going to be a pretty good guard in the NBA in time. He's somebody that I think I've come around with uh, using a top 10 pick on him at this point in the draft. So if you want to take him six to Oklahoma City, you believe in um, what he can contribute off the ball, like mm-hmm. give, give Gilgis Alexander somebody else to dump the ball to, maybe find him in different cuts. Um, Book Knight's ability to move without the ball when, when Shea is running a pick and roll set with somebody. Like, yeah, I believe in those things. It's if you believe that his catch and shoot jumper's gotten a lot better, if you believe that his overall shot making is going to be improved or can improve at a pretty decent clip his first few years in the NBA, then I think you found the right guy for for Shea. Because if you're looking to pair somebody with Shea and you're using like a top six pick on a, a who you believe to be a dynamic offensive shot maker, then he better be that guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he, he cannot shoot the ball like he did in college where he's only shooting 30% from three or he's only um, in, in like the twenties and percentile wise in terms of jump shots off the dribble like that, that can't happen if you're making that type of pick on him. So I'd like it in theory. I think he would bring enough defense to that backcourt as well. And I know you just said Luke Dort, you don't, you don't think he's a starter. I think he is. And I think that Luke Dort could actually play up to the three spot because of how he can defend and how physical he is. So I think if you put those three guys together, I think you could definitely have something. I would make a different pick at six, but that's just me. I I, I don't hate the pick that you made. So who would you take at six then to go along with Shea Gilgis Alexander? I think I'm taking at six the guy who I believe you have in your mock number seven. That would be Mr. Shangoon, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I love I love Shangoon, absolutely. And the reason I did why I would put him too. in – yeah, the reason why I would put him in Oklahoma City is because I think he fills more gaps that they need filled than Book Knight necessarily would. Like the Thunder, again, we're talking about another team who was abysmal in so many different offensive categories. We can pick them <laughs> apart like, yes. like the Pistons and everybody else, but they need a pick-and-roll dance partner for Shea desperately. They need somebody who can score the ball in the post desperately. They need better rebounding down low now that they've essentially gotten rid of their front court desperately yes and shen goon fills all of those needs on top of developing as a stretch big and a playmaker out of that five spot so not necessarily just rolling to the basket in some of those pick and roll sets with shea um he can get in the short roll and make plays for others out of those play types as well and i just think that he would better accentuate all of the things that shea does well like when you look at shea He's become such a dynamic three-level scorer. And and those were some of the questions you had about him coming out of college was how good of a scorer could he become? Well, now it's to the point where he doesn't have many holes in his offensive game. So now he just needs the right pick-and-roll dance partner to accentuate some of that. And I think that Shen Goon would be perfect in Oklahoma City. There's a lot of people who are mocking him falling to the Thunder at like 16 or 18, which if that happens, then they're getting getting tremendous value at that point. But – 
I'm one of those people why I mocked him to Oklahoma City at six is if I know that a guy's on the board that I want, I'm going to take him and I'm not going to listen to anybody else saying that I might not be getting enough value with my pick. So that's why I think he would go there. But if you want to pivot right into him at seven with Golden State, that, that, that can be a pivot too. Well, let's do that. But before I do, I just want to point to the fact that I do understand the shooting concerns with Book Knight, but I'm of the mindset that a player working on his jump shot enough, if he has a decent free throw percentage, usually that indicates that they can develop into a decent shooter. It's not a foolproof method, but with certain players that I look at, especially with the volume of shooting that Book Knight had at UConn, the amount of scoring that he did, I believe that he can turn that jump shot into something at least league average. I'm not saying he's going to be a plus 40% three-point shooter, but you know, upwards of like maybe 36, 37, I don't think is out of the question. All right, so pivoting now, you said, to the guy that I had number seven on my board, Golden State's on the clock, and I have them taking Alperen Shangun, the big man coming in. And you said very well versatile offensively. I believe in that as well. I love the potential fit of him with a Draymond Green in particular on that front court because you have a little bit of, you know, offense for defense there. And then obviously the 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 big fit would be pick and roll between him and Curry would just be insane, especially up maybe off of a horn set, you know, where he and Green are on the elbows and Curry just picks his poison whichever way he wants to go and, yep. and launch or deliver a pass. I think that's a very tantalizing idea. What do you think of Shangun going to Golden State here at seven? The only reason why I don't like it, the only reason, I think that everything you can lay out from a basketball perspective works, and kudos mm-hmm. to you for picking out a lot of that stuff. I don't want to discourage Wiseman. I'm I'm still a really big James Wiseman guy. I don't want to take another big man with like a top 10 lottery pick because I don't want to discourage his development. I think that Wiseman's still going to be really, really, really good in the NBA, if you don't believe in Wiseman and you think that you need to find another big man who can play with Draymond, like I get that argument. That's fine. I'm just not one of those people. So that's really the only reason not to sound too much like a media talking head that like, no, sure. you know, that's the only point that I'm going to throw out there. But like, that's really the only reason why I don't like the pick because I'm very high on Shingun. I think that he can fit almost anywhere. Um, but yeah, that's the reason why I wouldn't make that specific pick. And, and listen, I'm a really big believer in James Wiseman, too. I had him my number one overall pick for last year. I think that he is going to be a terrific center. But I'm kind of reading into the tea leaves to where it doesn't look like he's going to be in Golden State too long. This pick might not even be with Golden State. So yep. a little bit of looking into the future and what have you. I totally agree with the the James Wiseman uh, topic, but... I also, again, you know, the offensive creativity that could be in existence in Golden State with Shangun is just extremely tantalizing. All right. So, this was another spot, though, where my personal mock draft went off the rails, though, because I, I had them taking a player that I don't, you don't even have in your first 10 picks in your mock okay. draft. Okay. Do, do you, do you want to wait and to share where we go on the guys that I had too high, too low? We can do that, or do you want to give that fine. now? That's fine. We can, we can do okay. that. Okay. All right, all right. So um, now we have the Orlando Magic are back on the clock. Now they may try to package their picks together to move up. They may move down from from this pick and try to get more players and develop young guys. A number of ways they can go with this pick, Nathan. But I ended up going with Jalen Johnson out of Duke, and I went with a, another upside guy for the Magic because I don't believe that their timeline is to the point to where they want to get a, a, a higher floor, maybe lower ceiling guy. I believe that Jalen Johnson and Jonathan Kaminga together 
would would be a pretty fun front court if they can get everything going between again Anthony and I'm a really big believer in Hampton as well. So I'm curious to see what do you think about Jalen Johnson overall, and then again the fit with he and Kaminga in Orlando. I don't have too many questions about Jalen Johnson's basketball game. Um, well, well, technically I do because I think okay. that. So Jalen Johnson had great production last year at Duke when he was actually healthy and and playing in games for the most part without, in my opinion, not actually knowing how to play the game of basketball. I think that he really didn't have great understanding on both ends of the floor, which was counter to what everybody thought about him coming in was that he could be this dynamic potential point forward type prospect, somebody who can make plays for you on offense and, and handle the basketball at times. And I didn't think that Jalen Johnson did a good job of that in college at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it was because he didn't have the best teammates around him. Maybe it just wasn't the best fit for him chemistry wise. But I, I pointed to, I, I wrote a profile on that that is up on the website. I pointed to multiple different examples where I thought that his basketball IQ was really lacking. And, but at the same time, if he doesn't really have this great understanding of how to play basketball on both ends of the floor, yet he made some of the plays on defense that he did. He had some of the moments on offense, especially that pit game where he was like dueling Justin Champagne going back and forth, which is like one of the best displays of mid range shot making on both sides that I think we saw all last year. Then it's like, well, what does this look like if he actually does put it together? So I think that he definitely still has top 10 talent, I just have too many questions about everything that happened off the court, which you and I won't ever really get the answers to a lot sure. of the questions. We don't have that inside information, but um, I I don't know about the fit with him and Kuminga because I personally think that Jalen Johnson's jumper is going to be fine in time, mm-hmm. but if it isn't and those two share the court together, you might have two non-shooters on the court at the same time, plus whatever big man you're probably going to throw out next to them. So maybe if you stagger the both of them, or maybe if one of them ends up being a much better jump shooter sooner than expected, then it might work a little better. But I think that that I'm not quite sure, similar to Jonathan Kaminga, I'm not sure what Jalen Johnson comes in and necessarily gives an NBA team from day one other than a lot of energy. He can make a lot of interesting plays off the bounce if he recognizes them. But in terms of scoring the basketball, other than like line drive to the basket or like scoring in transition, I'm not sure how he impacts an NBA team's offense fully from day one. So that's why I question the fit of the two of them. But if you're willing to take a gamble in the top 10, there might not be a better player to gamble on than, than Jalen Johnson. Like he was like a top five guy for mm-hmm. me before the season started. So I, I I don't hate the pick. If you're gonna make a gamble, I'm not 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 gonna knock you for taking a gamble on him. Yeah, for sure. And, and it you know some guys are just better pros than they are collegiate athletes, and that's the feeling that I get from Jalen Johnson's game. And so we'll move forward now to a guy that I know that a lot of people are high on. I don't know where he. Where how you feel about where I have him on the team. I think the team fit is excellent per se, but um, he's a little bit lower on my board compared to others. It might just be kind of like, I don't know if I necessarily have a Florida State bias, but we don't have a lot of history of them always panning out up to the expectations that they come into the pros with. Um, not counting, not even just counting last season's draft, but you know, of the years leading up until this point. Um, Scotty Barnes coming out of Florida State, kind of a unique defensive point forward type player. 
I love the fit with him and, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and, you know, Darren Fox, I think would be a tremendous, um, you know, backcourt and, you know, like I said, uh, a point forward and a defensive stopper. What do you think of Scotty Barnes? I like the fit with the Sacramento Kings. I just don't think he's going to be there. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, the, that's the only problem. But mm-hmm. if we're talking about in theory going by your mock, yeah, I love the fit. Um, I think that he's the type of defensive player um, that they need in time. I, I have in my mock, I had Franz Wagner going to the Kings, okay. which I think that when you look at Barnes versus Wagner, I think you would probably pick Barnes for a lot of the reasons why I picked Wagner. Wagner's like a 4-3 type prospect who can bring a lot of that frontline defensive versatility that Scotty Barnes can. And they're also just really smart basketball players. Like Scotty Barnes may not be a point guard in the NBA. I know some people think he's going to be a point guard. I don't necessarily think that, but at the same time, he's just another big guy out there who brings enough versatility and he's He's going to make smart basketball decisions when, when given enough responsibility, when given enough touches. So just for, from the standpoint of I trust this guy to go out there, bring the defensive intensity, the competitiveness that I want him to, and on the offensive end, especially if the jumper comes around, like I just trust him to make good, smart decisions. I think that's the type of player that Sacramento needs. So I think between the two, there's a compare. There's a lot of comparisons between why you and I made our respective picks. So I see where you're going, and I do like I do like the fit. Yeah, and again, this is also taking into account to where I think these guys are going to end up long term, not just fit, and not yep. just where I think that they're where experts have them coming on into the draft. Right. So it took me it took me getting to pick ten, but I, as high as I am on the Kings and Barnes. This is my absolute favorite marriage that I have in my top 10 because, look, the New Orleans Pelicans are on the clock and they have the unique task of appeasing a a budding superstar in Zion Williamson. Not only is he a budding superstar and they got to make him happy, but he's also kind of difficult to build around. You know, you have a Brandon Ingram who plays alongside him. They're both front court guys. Ingram might could give you minutes in the backcourt, but neither one of these guys are defensive dynamos. Obviously, they have the potential to get to to that point. There's not a lot of um, good locker room leadership. There's not really just a, a, a guy who is going to check anybody, it feels like, out of all these players that they have. And so enter Davion Mitchell at number 10 to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, playing underneath now Willie Green. We know that that hiring has taken place in New Orleans. Nathan, I'm really curious on one where you have or where I have Davion Mitchell as far as, you know, in terms of where the other players are. And then also, again, just the fit with New Orleans. I like the pick if they would keep Lonzo Ball and Mm. they would play Lonzo at the two. Um, So I mocked Davion a little lower than you did. I mocked him number 13 to Indiana. Um, and, and the fit, the reason why I would mock him to Indiana could be similar to the reason why you mocked him to New Orleans or the reason why I think it's a good fit because the Pacers have somebody like Malcolm Brogdon, a bigger yep. guard who can also take offensive responsibility away from Davion a little bit. Like Davion's technically your point guard, but if you have somebody like a Brogdon or Alonzo next to him, he doesn't have to handle every single offensive possession and always make the play for somebody else. Right. Davion can be off the ball a little bit too, similar to how he was with Jared Butler at Baylor. And, you know, you, you can rely on him to, to hit a few catch and shoot shots or, or pass the ball back to him, let him get in like an isolation set, just let him do his thing off the bounce. Like, I think that Davion should not be your, your primary playmaker for every single offensive set. And then mm-hmm. you talk about his size as well. He's a competitive defender, but there are some matchups 
where it's just going to be better suited to have him next to a bigger guard, not necessarily another guard of like similar size. You know what I mean? So that's why I think that if they get rid of Alonzo, I wouldn't love the pick as much, but if they kept Alonzo, then I think that would definitely be one of the better outcomes for Davion just being a long-term starter in the NBA versus being a guy that you're drafting him thinking he's going to be more of like a sixth man because of his position on size fit on the floor. I think that he could succeed in that situation as a starter. He could succeed in Indiana as a starter. So that, yeah, I, I, I do like, I see where you're going with that and I do like it based on Lonzo. Yeah. And again, if you look at who the stars are on this New Orleans team, I look at a Zion who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I look at a Brandon Ingram who's also going to have the ball in his hands, kind of comparing them to what we just saw with Milwaukee. Giannis is going to be kind of your playmaker in these younger years, right? Just like Zion. Chris Middleton is going to develop and grow as a ball handler and playmaker for others, kind of like a Brandon Ingram, right? So now you insert a Davion Mitchell to kind of take on that Drew Holiday esque style role or um, you know position on that team I, I see a lot of mirroring that you can do between you know this team in New Orleans and Milwaukee and I think that Davion is kind of uniquely skilled to where he could play alongside those two high usage players yeah I, I definitely agree with that and yeah you you brought up another aspect I didn't even mention was that Zion, point Zion was unleashed last year I don't know what Willie Green's definitely going to do as far as that situation, but either him or Brandon Ingram can also handle the ball. So you're you're minimizing how much Davion has to have the ball in his hands to succeed offensively, and mm-hmm. you're capitalizing on some of the other strengths that he showed, whether whether they are long-term strengths in the NBA, like his shooting. His shooting took a drastic jump last year. If yep. that's real, then you're asking him to make a lot more catch-and-shoot shots like he showed that he was capable of doing at Baylor shots that I think he's better at doing versus creating everything for himself all the time off the dribble. And then, yeah, you're taking a lot of the playmaking responsibility out of his hands because one of my biggest criticisms about Davion and scouting him is that I've always felt like he did, he wasn't as good of like a start stop type guard. And by that, I mean, not necessarily start stop, like change speeds to score, but change speeds to make something else happen for somebody else. Like, I think that if he was changing speeds or mixing it up, he was looking to score out of those situations. And when he was looking to make plays for others, I think he moved too fast at times. He really only operated at one speed. So that's why I wouldn't make him like this primary point guard. But in the reality that you're talking about, 100%, it works. Uh, Excellent. And thank you so much for um, seeing where I'm going with that and telling me that I'm not crazy for thinking that way, Nathan. I really appreciate you uh, humoring me on, on, on that aspect of it. So, Nathan, that's the top 10, man. And first off, just want to say thank you so much for coming through here and walking me through my top 10 and telling me what you agree and disagree with and doing it in a way that still makes me feel good at the end of the day. You know, you're you're a gentleman and a scholar for that. But um, I want to give you a little bit of time, man, just to let me know um, who are you liking or not liking uh, in this in this draft class? And maybe that's just kind of like the um, low hanging way of saying it. Like we've we've said that this draft is great. And maybe some people are higher on other players that you're not. So who who are you high on? Who are you low on for this draft class? Um, so so I'll give you one of each. Sure. So the the guy that I'm high on who you didn't have in your top ten, who I actually mocked at seven to the Golden State Warriors. And I I've talked about this guy in your podcast before, but yeah. it was Jared Butler. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that Butler would be the type of player who would be perfect 
to fit in Golden State because when you look at what Golden State wants to do and what they want to avoid happening from last year, last year they had too many guys on the court who couldn't hit open catch and shoot three point shots, right? Correct. They they were void of that, and that you could tell that that pissed Stephen and Draymond off. They were not <laughs> happy about that in, in the slightest, but. Butler can do that, and Butler can also take playmaking away from Steph to an extent to where Butler can run sets for them offensively. I think those two could play in the backcourt together, and then Steph gets to do a lot more of the off-ball stuff that he loves doing as well. Um, Butler can handle the ball and, and, and dance with Draymond in similar ways that Steph can. Uh, Butler can score the ball from all three levels, and then defensively, if he's like running a second unit, and then you have him on the court defensively as well. He's not sinking your second unit defensively. He can, again, put pressure at the point of attack, create steals, create turnovers. So I think that Jared Butler is the type of value pick that could actually help them not not like majorly contribute to winning because we can't really ever say that about rookies. But like sure. he, he's if I'm making a pick for Golden State at seven, they actually keep that pick. Like that's one guy who jumps out to me like, hey, this could actually work. They could give him responsibility, and he could do a lot of good things for that team next year and then years beyond. So that's that's one fit that I really like. A guy that I'm a little lower on than consensus is Josh Giddy. Um, and I'm going to be talking about Me too, him. man. <laughs> why, well, well, let me kick it over to you then. Why, why are you not as high on Josh Giddy? Then I'll go into why I'm not. I don't believe that the things that he's really good at with his um, athleticism and lack of other great skills, I don't think translate well to the next level. I mean, the the thing that people fall in love with about Giddy is, you know, well, for one, I made the comment on Twitter that he looks like he's a Disney, you know, he looks like he's casted to play in a Disney movie about basketball. And I, I, I thought that was a, a, you know, a funny observation, but more seriously, um, he, he's deemed to be like this kind of playmaking forward, right? He's got great size. He's young. A lot of the same reasons why I like a Jalen Johnson and a Jonathan Kaminga, I understand why people are making that comp to or that um that level of interest in a Josh Giddy. I just don't think that the shots there. I don't think that the defense is there, and I don't think that the athleticism's there. So, if you're looking at grabbing a guy super high who all he does is passes, I don't think that that's really a a, a skill set that I'm looking for in the top ten. If that makes sense, Nathan. No, it does make sense, and that's a lot of the reason why I would be "quote unquote" lower on him than than consensus. Like consensus has him as like this bona fide lottery pick. Mm-hmm. I mocked him all the way down to to twenty two with the Lakers uh, because I think lower that, than me. I think I had him at like uh, eighteen, if memory serves me correctly. So, and, and the only reason why I say that there there is one lottery fit that Matt Maurer convinced me of when I had him on my podcast was if like San Antonio drafted him at like twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a good fit because I don't think he's a point guard. There are a lot of people projecting him as a point guard. I don't figure that to be the case. San Antonio already has a lot of guards that handle playmaking duties and bring the ball up the floor. So I think that would be more of a low pressure situation for Giddy to come in as like this three, four type of player and just figure out how to play the game and how to score the basketball at the NBA level. Cause I'm also not confident how he's going to score from day Mm -hmm. one either. Like I, I I know the all the workout videos of his shooting seem like he's making them like butter, 
but we know how workouts can go. We know how, you know, some of those Joe Kim go. Noah had a pretty dope workout <laughs> video once upon a time, you know, so <laughs> we, we just know how that goes. So like, I'm not going to necessarily put all of my stock into it. Although his jump shot does look, um, better than, than what I saw on film and more consistent, but I mean, yeah, those, those are the reasons why I think that I would value him as more of like a Joe Ingles type of player. And mm-hmm. that's a player who is definitely a first round guy. It's just how high do you take him? Where's his fit? And what what's what's the best situation for him to develop long term? Kind of the angle that you were taking this whole time with your mock draft. What's the best place for these guys long term? So that's why I think the situation for him is really going to matter. And if he's a point guard and he blows us all away in like three years, then, then then more power to him. But I think that that will also come from somewhere who doesn't give him the keys from day one, another situation that lets him develop into mm-hmm. that type of role. Because yeah, you mentioned his body, his body's not where it is needs to be right now. He has, he has a long way to go with his body and his ability to finish around the basket. Like there's there, I, I understand the vision. I understand how he's a really, really, really smart dude. Any of those guys, you always want to have them in your locker room. But in terms of how much responsibility you give them on the court, I still think it's going to take some time for him. But I, yeah, I don't man. think it was a prospect, though. I had that, I want to make that clear, though. I'm, I, I like Giddy. I just don't know how much I like Giddy. And, and again, you know, there's about 20 players that I don't want to put in my top 10. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I've saw people make that, you know, that that same, you know, uh, statement about this draft is, you know, you want to put more guys in there that there actually are positions. But um, Nathan, I just want to thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for your platform and draft deeper. I learned a lot from you um, just on a personal level. You know, I, I, I love your I love your work, man. And I was so honored whenever you said, yeah, I'll come on to, to day one of uh, breaking the game's draft weekend specials. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit of time, man, to kind of share um, where people can find you and your work. I'm honored, man. I, I I don't say no. And anytime I can come on and, and help somebody else and they always help teach me something too or help promote my brand. So seriously, you guys at Off the Ball are always great to me. So thank you for having me on. But if you want to follow me, you can follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to the Draft Deeper podcast wherever you get it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're, we're always talking hoops. So come, come on over, have some conversations with us. I'd love to have you. Yeah, and I would highly encourage anybody who wants to, who one, thinks that they know the draft, and then two, wants to learn about the draft, please go and subscribe and follow Nathan over at, um, you know, Draft Deeper. But with that being said, I just want to say thank you for tuning in and listening to Breaking the Game Show. If you're listening to us on the Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel, thank you so much. Just want to encourage you guys to please go and look up the podcast breaking the game anywhere podcasts are available go and check out all the great work that me and my friends are doing over at off the ball network go to off the ball network.com for all your sports needs go to my bookie enter in promo code off the ball and they will do up to one thousand dollar matching it's a great promo that they do over there and then you know stay tuned for off the ball mondays on the nothing net channel on dash radio i'm followed by my good friend mo murphy on up in flames who is followed by our president of the ball network chris lebron for the off the ball podcast with that being said thank you so much for tuning in big shout out to nathan for coming on and being my very special guest This has been Breaking the Game. We will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody.